You are listening to the Vineyard Nordic podcast. We invite you to join us on the exciting journey of following Jesus and bringing the kingdom of God wherever we go. This episode was recorded at the Vineyard Nordic Summer Camp. Welcome. Thank you for joining us for this next hour. Um, this is actually maybe one of the harder seminars that I'm about to give, simply because the, the goal I'm setting today is, is very high. But what I need you to know is that I'm on this journey myself, so I'm not speaking so much from a point of completion. You know, I've achieved this and now I tell you how to do it, but rather the opposite. I'm still on this journey, and I'm just kind of taking you along a little bit on this uh, journey that I've been on these last about 15 years. I've been a believer for 47, but uh, it was about the last 15 years that something happened through uh, a retreat I was invited to that opened up a whole new dimension of spirituality for me that I was not aware of before. And I remember my my reaction was, uh, I just wish somebody had told me about this when I was a young believer. Things would have probably turned out better in some ways. But God knows. I want to start by telling a story that some of you have heard before, but it kind of describes what, what I'm trying to say today. It's a prophetic story. I don't even know who wrote it, but it's a story of a person sitting in their living room on their very comfortable couch, and the light is on. And as you look around, it looks cozy. The couch is comfortable. It looks like a nice place to be. And there's a knock on the door. And uh, the person that enters is an electrician. And he says, I have come to change your light bulb. So he walks into the middle of the room. He takes out the, the light bulb. And rep- he replaces it with one that is just a little bit stronger. And then he leaves again. And all of a sudden, the person looks around and realizes, Oh, I thought I had cleaned. But actually now I see some some cobwebs in the corner, uh, and uh, there's actually a mess in that corner I hadn't noticed. And all of a sudden, that cozy, perfect environment is not so perfect anymore. You see some impurity, some things that actually you don't like. And then the story goes on. After some time, the electrician comes again. <laughs> I'm here to change the light bulb. <laughs> so he goes up, and, you know, he, he gets just gets brighter and brighter. And all of a sudden... Oh my goodness, <clears throat> now you start seeing things in the far corners of the room that you did not expect at all. You know, there's a mess over there, and you hadn't vacuumed over there in months, maybe. And, <clears throat> and so it kind of changes your perspective, and it makes you become proactive, because you don't like to live in this kind of mess. And so you take steps to remedy that in some way. You start cleaning, you start picking up. Because now you see the reality in a way you didn't see it before. And so the story goes on, and later on in the story, and I don't have time to unpack that, actually there are other people coming in to help you clean your room, which is quite uh, humiliating, but at the same time pointing out the fact that we actually do need each other. The whole topic and aspect of spiritual formation has one danger built in, And it is that we take it just too personal. And as I will point out a bit later in my talk today, actually it was never meant to be that way. So the interesting thing is the deeper I go in this topic, the more I discover, the more I realize how much there is still left to fix in my own heart. It's like God is taking us on a journey through the caverns of our heart and he's showing us the places that we didn't even know existed. Could be attitudes, you know, could be just patterns of thinking, things that have been stuck there from our childhood, maybe. And he's starting to illuminate our soul 
with his presence in a way where we start seeing things we've never seen before. And it's not always pretty. And it's not always easy. But that's in his love, him helping us to become more and more like the person that he wants us to be. So this is kind of what I'm talking about today because even since last year, where I shared almost every day here, I have been going deeper. And I want to take you on that next chapter, so to speak, of my journey with with God. Um, So talking about a road map, and as you see here, the most important thing we need to understand today is that spiritual formation is not only for ourselves. It's for the sake of others. And I think this, if this is the only thing you learn today, then this is already a great revelation. Because so often we live in this individualistic world here in Europe, especially in the Nordic part, where it's all about us. And so we can take this whole topic and say, okay, now I finally have found some tools that I can use for my personal walk with God. (laughs) But that's not really what it's all about. The transformation of our soul is mainly for the sake of others. And not even those that are closest to us. Of course it is. But mainly for the people in the world. They need to see Jesus. And you and I may be the only Jesus they will ever see. How well do we represent him to the world? And so I am... I just want to take you on this journey, and I, uh, I'm not going to apologize for it, but we're going to go quite deep, and it might actually be a bit painful at times, but like I said, I'm doing this because I want to go further and deeper. I want to start with, uh, you're just talking about this greater process of spiritual formation. Um, I used to, and I still do, use the whole, the, the picture of spiritual formation in a way, maybe uh, someone that is involved in sports uses training. So spiritual formation, in a sense, is like taking your soul to the gym. You know, you work out. You make the muscle grow. You make the spiritual muscle grow. And, and I still believe that with all my heart, but I learned something along the, on, along the way. For some people, they are so broken that they actually first need something else before they can have therapy. Can you imagine you break your leg and the doctor says to you, now go do exercises? Probably not very helpful because the bone needs to be set first. It needs to heal. And then comes the rehab. And so for some of us, we have been so broken that if we try to, to fix our brokenness by engaging in all kinds of maybe spiritual exercises and 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 trying to, you know, to move forward that way, for some of us it doesn't work. Because there needs to be a deep healing first that needs to take place. The healing comes before the rehab. It comes before the exercise. And so I just want us to understand that. Because I know spiritual formation has become quite a buzzword in the Christian world, especially in in the U.S. and other places, not so much yet here. But if you start... Googling books about spiritual formation, you'll find them by the thousand now. It's becoming an increasing interest of Christians to start working on their inner stuff uh, because they realize that we haven't been receiving a whole lot of training about that in our churches. It's kind of like a, almost like a new thing that has come by the grace of God into the Christian arena that we actually need to create a balance between what we do in this world and who we are in our relationship with God. So, um, once we understand that um, spiritual formation is a process, then we realize that, well, all of life is spiritual formation. It's not like you you say, okay, now from starting today, I'm going to do spiritual formation. You've been doing it all your life, you just didn't know. It's been with you. You've been formed even before you knew Christ. We just didn't have words for it. We didn't have a language. We didn't know how to describe it. And that's why it's not something you can just start doing and then everything will get better. It would be nice, but that's just not the way 
it works. It's not the nature. So sometimes when we feel a lack in our spiritual life, we know our relationship with God is not what it could be. What do we do? We search for the right technique. We search for the right program. We search for the right book. We search for the right seminar. We search for something to help us, you know, to just get better in our relationship with God. But again, that's actually a reflection of, of how messed up we are sometimes in the way of our thinking. It doesn't work that way. You have been formed by God from the very first day of your life. Um, and so I'll talk a bit about that later, but let's look at that. We are like children, the Bible says. And so when we become born again, our first encounter with God, we are like babies. We need to learn how to talk, we need to learn how to walk, we need to learn how to do life. The same is true in the spiritual. And so there are times when we, uh, we feel that things are not moving, but it's just like in the natural world. Some children don't grow according to the chart. Some children, they plateau at a certain place, and all of a sudden there comes what we call a growth spurt, where within one year they just grow 10 centimeters or more. And, whoa, what happened to you? You just grew up in one year. And the spiritual life can be like that. We go through seasons, we go through phases, and there may be times when we feel like yeah, things really haven't happened much, then all of a sudden something happens, something triggers a growth spurt, and we all of a sudden find ourselves advancing in our relationship with God to a, to a way that, yeah, that really uh, helps us. It gives us hope for the future. Because the worst thing that can happen is that we give up. And I think many have given up. Many have given up on that high bar that's been set for us to become like Christ. So, it has to do with nutrition. You know, I, as many of you know, we, we spent 24 years in Southeast Asia, and it's a very stereotypical way of thinking that Asian people are small, and I guess they are when you go there. But I was so surprised when I met three Cambodian boys that were adopted as babies, and they grew up in California, and when I met them as adults, they were just as tall and big as any other American kid. So yes, there's some DNA, but a lot of it really has to do with nutrition. That's the main reason why many people in the in poor countries are not as tall, simply because they have not had good nutrition throughout their, their growing years. And so nutrition, again, for us, of course, we know, is all that God gives to us through his word and through all the many different tools that he chooses to speak to us. Again, spiritual formation is not an option. It's not something you can choose to do or not to do. Like somebody says, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And others say, no, I don't think I want to do that. It doesn't work that way. You've been formed all your life. It's just the understanding of what's actually happening may open up a whole perspective and a whole new, a whole new world for you. That actually God has taken a personal interest in shaping you into the likeness of his son. And the problem is that um, we have a say in which way our spiritual formation actually goes. It happens, whether you like it or not. But if we don't choose to really, under, if we don't understand it and don't choose to cooperate with God, we can be formed in a bad direction. And that has happened to many of us. Maybe because of teaching we received that was not really biblical, or role models that we have seen growing up in churches. We, it could be that our spiritual formation has taken a turn that actually is leading us further away from the heart of God. So the whole thing about formation is not an option. It's happening whether you like it or not. But we do have a say in it. We do have a say in it because God will never force himself on us. So we can either move towards wholeness in Christ or 
towards being increasingly dehumanized and in a destructive mode of being. And listen to this, what, what Paul says. I realize many of you won't be able to read it. <clears throat> it's so profound when he says that growing up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, attain to mature personhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time to set the bar that high. I read the Bible and I, I look at Peter, well, maybe I don't want to be like him, at least not the way he was at some point in life. But I look, I look at Paul, that sounds exciting, but again, you, you already feel, I could never be like Paul. You read, you know, about his, his life and his stories, and you just feel, okay, forget it, you know, I'll, I'll never be like Paul. But actually, that's not even the point. The bar is set much higher. The goal and the desire for God is for us to grow into the image of his son, Jesus. And there he helped us. It's not the Jesus that sits at the right hand of God today. It's the Jesus that walked this earth for 33 years or whatever it was. It's the Jesus we read about in the Gospels. That's the image. That's the picture. And so he sent us his son so we could see what it would be like to live according to God's heart and will here and now on this earth. And so if you want to know what God desires for your life, read the Gospels. Read how Jesus did life. That's how he wants you to do life. That's the bar. Whether we get there or not in this lifetime is not even the point. The point is that this is what God desires, and he would not desire it if it was impossible. But this is what God desires, and this is the direction we must go. And sometimes we crawl along on our bellies, and sometimes we jump over hurdles. But as long as we know that we are moving in that direction, then we will uh, have a life that is fulfilled, a life with purpose, a life that leads us into the destiny that, that God has for us. <clears throat> something I need to, if you're serious about this, there's something I need you to, to, to do. It's what I call essential groundwork. At some point, and you can do that at home, write or draw a spiritual review in, in which you look back on the different stages of your life and how you experience your relationship with God and your own spirituality during each stage. What you see there in the background is my, my first attempt <laughs> of my spiritual journey. And as you can see, I'm not an artist, but it makes total sense to me. And I, as in doing it, I discovered so much about my own life. This is just a, a small clip of the whole big picture that I did. And I spent hours on it, starting from the beginning, and uh, using different colors to describe different things that happened. And then I saw it. I saw it as clear as day. The formation that, that God had begun from the beginning and how he led me through different phases to learn something, to let go of something, to encounter something. I saw things that I didn't understand when I was a young Christian all of a sudden being illuminated and it fell into place and I got it. One of them was, and I've mentioned that many times here, when I was a young believer I, I had read books about the father love of God. They were quite popular back in the 80s. And I read one, the one by Floyd McClung, that was so famous, and it didn't really do anything for me. It was just a good book. And then about 10, 12 years later, I'm sitting in the car, driving through Manila, and uh, uh, I had an old American Chevrolet with the windows down, and had a cassette player, and I, uh, somebody from the vineyard in Bern had sent me cassette tapes of uh, a teaching that they had on the Father, heart of God. And uh, I just popped in the cassette and listened to it while I drove through the city. And all of a sudden I got it. All of a sudden I was ready. I got it. And the love of the Father came to me in the car to such a point where I had to pull over in order not to have an accident. Because it was so powerful and so strong. I got it that day. But now looking back I can see that he prepared me for that years before, but I wasn't quite ready to grasp it 
He knew that. And at the right time, the lights went on. And I experienced the Father love of God, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It was, a, it was an encounter I will never forget. And it wasn't the last time. That's the wonderful thing. You can always ask for a repeat, for a replay. And so that's actually quite powerful. So if you're serious about moving on with God, I challenge you to do that. It doesn't matter how you do it. You can just do one straight line. You can do the most <clears throat> artistic picture you can come up with. But look at your life and see what God has done. Include the tragedies. Include the people that shaped you. Include the incidences where you know God had spoken to you. Look at that. And you will see that God has been at work for a long, long time. The problem with this whole formation, really, is the issue of control. We just don't like to be controlled. From the very young age, even as toddlers and babies, we like to be in control. We want to feed ourselves. We want to do things ourselves. And we fight for it. It's part of human nature, but it's not always a good part of human nature. Because so many times it just um, deprives us of uh, growing in God because we don't allow him to do what he wants to do. And so we can actually form ourselves. Do you know that? Of course you can. You can take the right courses and read the right books and you can become a different person. People have done that. I know people that far from the church and from God have changed their life dramatically, uh, become free from addictions and, and shaped up and, and started to take life seriously <clears throat> and to make something of themselves all of, out of their own strength. It's possible. But when it comes to becoming like Jesus, it doesn't work. You can't do that by yourself. And it means giving permission to the one and only who can do that. And that's scary to really relinquish control in all areas of our lives. So there's really nothing you, we and I, you and I can do by ourselves except to make ourselves available for God to do that work of transforming grace in our lives. And we are all different, you know. Some of us, we are what, we, what, what is called graspers. We, we, we are like opportunists. We like to grasp things in life. And for that kind of people, it's really hard to be grasped by God. There are others that are manipulators. They don't know it, but they are. They go through life manipulating, shaping things. Um, and they reject being shaped by God. There are others, and we all fall a little bit into that category, who deal with control issues, and we, it's almost impossible for some of us to yield to the control of God. If I will point out later, it actually it's an issue of trust. So, what we need to understand is that spiritual formation really is a reversal of things. In the video we talk often about the kingdom of God, how it is an upside-down kingdom, how, you know, the first shall be last, and last shall be first, and how things are all upside down. Well, the same thing is true in spiritual formation. And our culture is not helping us. Because our culture always tells us that we are what we do. If you like to sing, of course you are a singer. If you like to repair cars, or so you must be a mechanic. So our culture tells us what we do is what we are. In spiritual formation, it's just the opposite. What God wants us to understand is that we are what he wants us to be even before we do what he wants us to do. But we don't look at it that way. We look at the people around us and we measure them by what they do. They sing well, they play well, they preach well, they, they do art well, they do this well. And so we, we esteem them according to what they do. And we have not the, not, not the faintest clue who they are, aside from what we see with our eyes, a man or a woman, old or young. And so in spiritual formation, it's the opposite. 
God wants us to understand who he has made us to be so that we can finally do the things that he has prepared for us to do. And that's a, a complete paradigm shift. And it's, it's not easy for anyone to really grasp that. Um, that's kind of what you know Satan tried to do with, with Jesus at, during the first temptation. If you are the son of God, then you can turn bread, uh, stones into bread. So again, you know, he, he turned it around, but it's the same thing. If you are that, then you must be able to do that. And so there's something about that that God needs to change. Um, and it's what's called the great reversal, from acting to bring about the desired result in our lives, to being acted upon by God, and responding in ways that allow God to bring about God's purposes. And that's not easy. Um, I want to briefly talk to you about the, what I consider to be the most scariest verse in the Bible. I know you've read it, we've all read it. I used to jump over it because I couldn't take it. I used to try to ignore it because it was so, so harsh. When people would come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then Jesus, he didn't contradict them. He didn't say, no, you didn't. He didn't contradict them. But he said, no, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. I mean, how harsh is that? Like I said, for many years, whenever I came to that portion in my Bible reading, I just kind of tried to jump over it because I just couldn't contain it. Here are people doing the things that most of us are dreaming about. Prophesying, driving out demons, doing, doing mighty works. I mean, that's for many of us, that's what we're dreaming about. And Jesus saying, but that's not what it's about. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. And that really requires a paradigm shift because it's not something that we can just grasp with our human understanding. So they had the works, they had the doing, but they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And that, by the way, explains a lot, doesn't it? Uh, it explains why people can do miracles and then we find out later on that actually their character was lacking in quite many areas. It used to shock me when I, when I read books about you know, great men and women of God that were known to be miracle workers and, and demonstrated the power of God. And then you would hear you know, some kind of issue with, with control, with money or with sex. It's always one of the three. And, and you say, how is that even possible? I've encountered it myself. Some of my close friends and mentors have fallen away by the wayside. People that were anointed by God, I've seen them do miracles in the name of Jesus. And then one day, all of a sudden, they denounce Christ and they do no longer hold to the truth that they once had in their hearts. How is that possible? I always wondered, how is it possible? Well, I think we're starting to discover a little bit of that secret as we go on today, it really has to do with who we are in Christ and the relationship that we have with him. <coughs> and so we need to stop um, putting people on a high pedestal just because they have the gift of healing or uh, some, some other gift that we wish we had. We, we can rejoice with them. We can rejoice that God still touches people's hearts and lives through his church, but we should be very, very careful to measure them according to their deeds, because that apparently doesn't work. We need to see people according to who they are, and of course, that is a lot harder than we think. So, spiritual formation is not something that we do to ourselves or for ourselves, but something we allow God to do in us and for us as we yield ourselves to the work of God's transforming grace. Now the big question is, is it something we add, or is it something that's been built in to our heart? Like I said, 
we have set the bar too low. We wish we could be like Paul. We wish we could be like David. We wish we could be like Moses or Abraham. And God says, that's not what I want. What I made you for is to be like Christ. That's the bar. That's how high he is setting the bar. And we need to understand that and, and give in and say, okay, God, I don't know how that is ever going to happen. But if that's what you want for me, then I join you in that process. Then I give you permission. Then I give you authority to really work in my heart and life so that at least to some extent I can reflect the image of Christ here and now in this world. And that's the most profound yearning that dwells in the heart, not just of the believer, but actually every human being has that built in. Every human being has that built in. Everyone was created with that in mind, that one day they would reflect the image of Christ. And of course, for those that that do not know God in Christ, it's an impossibility. But for us who have made the decision to, to... turn our lives over to him, so to speak. We have this opportunity to actually have this happen. And only that is what will satisfy in the long run. Nothing else ever will. Because the image of Christ brings cleansing, healing, restoration, renewal, transformation, wholeness into an unclean, deceased, broken, imprisoned, dead, and incomplete, dead incompleteness of our lives. So now, when this happens, two two things take place. The first thing is confrontation. And that seems to be the only way that works. Uh, If God wouldn't confront us, we wouldn't move. But he does that through his word. He does that in many different ways. He will just show us the ideal. He shows us the picture of Christ. And he will confront us. This is what I want you to be like. But he doesn't condemn us, he doesn't judge us, he doesn't punish us for not being that. But he comes with his invitation. If you let me, if you allow me, I will take your heart and I will shape it piece by piece, more and more. So the confrontation comes mainly through the word or through worship, maybe a word of prophecy or, or something somebody else says. Sometimes even an unbeliever, God can use to speak to us and confront to us. And sometimes that's the most painful. When an unbeliever maybe points out, out our unchristlikeness, and we realize that we have not been a good example. We haven't been a good witness at all. But then confrontation always leads to consecration. Consecration just means to say yes. So the confrontation is always out of love. It's not to hurt us. It's not to damage us. It's to open our eyes. It's like the story I told at the beginning. It's just a brighter light bulb to help us see the reality of our brokenness. And then in the midst of that, we all we need to do is say yes to each point of unlikeness. We must, must give him permission to do the work to do with us now, not just in the life to come. And trans- because transformation will not be forced upon us. And so when uh, we respond to the confrontation of the Spirit at the point of our brokenness, and that's always the point, it happens through brokenness, otherwise we don't see it. But then, that will allow God to do the work He wants to do. And we begin to experience the reality of being formed. Now I want us to do a short exercise. Um, <coughs> something you need to do right now. What I would like you to do is think for a few moments about your own life and look at the things that you know are not Christ-like. Okay? Let me, let me help you out a little bit here. Um, really, all we need to do is look at the life of Christ described to us in the Gospels and see how did, God, how did Jesus deal with life? How did he deal with relationships? Well, he was loyal, he was loving, but he was also confrontational. How did he deal with religion? Quite harshly. The hardest words he ever spoke were to the religious leaders of the day. 
There was holy anger that came through when he overturned the, the table. He was so sick and tired of, of the house of God being used for anything but worship. We see his compassion when he looked at the world and he saw it as a harvest field. And he said, the harvest is ripe. Laborers are few. We see him reach out to the poor. We see him reach out to the sick. We see him taking care of the hungry. And on and on. And you know what? There's one thing I, I discovered just this week. I don't know if you're following the news at all. But this whole year, from the beginning of this year, all I ever hear every time I turn on the news is about the environment. Do you notice that? It's all about the environment this year. What we can do, you know, the change and the dangers we're in. And it's, it's not a bad thing. But then I thought, hmm, I wonder what Jesus says about the environment. I got searching. What, did he say anything about the environment? I couldn't find much, really. A little bit about God loves the sparrows and he knows when they die. So he loves animals. Okay, that's cool. Um, maybe they didn't have a problem of environment. I don't know. But I think if it was that important on the heart of God, maybe he would have said something a little bit more specific. Now, I'm not in any way implying that we should not take care of the environment. But what I'm saying is, it seems to me that we have substituted one good thing for the most important thing, and that is souls. So many times in our culture, there is a... Uh, so compassion for the environment, but not for the unborn children. There's a compassion for, uh, you know, making things better and right, but not for the lost souls, for the brokenhearted, for the poor. Somehow we are being led into a direction that looks so good and so great that leads us away from the true issues of heart. Because if men and women would live according to God's heart and plan, I think the issue of the environment would be solved. So we're trying to fix something that we can't fix because we, the issue is the heart of man, first of all. And so I was quite challenged by that. I really, really combed the, the Gospels and said, what did Jesus say about the environment? Well, you do it. Maybe you'll find something. But what I'm, this excellent little exercise is basically now Look at your own life and pick maybe the first thing that you know, okay, this is definitely not Christ-like. This one thing or this area in my life, I know I'm not living it like Jesus would have. We remember back in, was it the 80s or the 90s when they had these bracelets, what would Jesus do? It's actually not a bad idea. I've done that many times when I'm faced with a situation where I have to make a decision and I'm not sure. I ask them, what, what would Jesus have done? What would we have done? And often I find the answer just asking that question. Because then I know what he would have done. It's quite obvious from the Bible what Jesus would have done in most cases. And so take a moment. If you have something to write, maybe you should write it down or put it in your phone. But take a moment to reflect on your own life. And what's the first thing that pops in, into your heart where you know, oh, well, in this area I'm definitely not living like Jesus. And maybe write that down. Work with that later. Ask God. Invite him into that. Help him to, to, uh, yeah, to challenge you and to, to lead you. So t let's just take a few moments to do that. This is really, really essential. I imagine we could spend the next couple of hours on that alone. But I just wanted you to get started. <laughs> and maybe you would like to continue that process. Because that's, that's the bar, to be like Jesus. None of us has reached it, but we're all on that journey. And that's the direction. Nothing less will do. Nothing less will do. It's almost discouraging in a way, because it seems so high. But as I said before, the Father would not expect it from us if it was impossible. And he's patient, he's kind, and he's loving. 
And he's doing it for our own sake and for the sake of the world. Because the world needs to see Jesus. And they will not until he returns again. And who knows when that will be. In the meantime, there are billions of souls in this world that have never heard about the name of Jesus, even today. The people in our own countries, in our own nations, that have never set foot in a church. That don't know stories of the Bible that you learned maybe you, when you were young. They don't know that there is a loving God that sent his son to die for them. And you and I, we've been tasked with showing them the way and showing them what Jesus could be like. So this is one thing you can do. Another thing I, I'm challenging you to do, but not right now, but you can look at it. It's a bit of a test. Are you, the question we have to ask ourselves, are you more loving, more compassionate, more patient, more understanding, more caring, more giving, more forgiving than you were a year ago? If you cannot answer these kinds of questions in the affirmative with yes, and especially if others cannot answer them with yes about you, then you need to examine carefully the nature of your spiritual life and growth. It's not a, maybe not a pleasant thought to think that way. But if what we are saying is true, that we are indeed being changed and transformed into the image of Christ, then there has to be a change somewhere. And if we don't see it, and if others don't see it, it means that something in our formation just isn't working right now. And that should be an incentive for us to start asking questions. But why? Where have I missed it? Where have I lost the plot, so to speak? Where did I leave the script that God has written for my life? Because he has a script for your life. You are the main actor in your own movie. And there's a script that God has written. But he never forces it on us. You can write your own. See how that goes. <laughs> it usually ends up in brokenness and disaster. So, if you cannot answer a clear yes to those questions, then it's an indicator that, well, maybe I should take this seriously. Maybe I should try to engage more in, in finding ways to allow him to form me more and more. And the thing is, and that's kind of the one of the side topics for today, it's not so much for our own benefit, but it's for the sake of others. Our relationships with others are not only the testing ground of our spiritual life, but also the places where our growth toward wholeness in Christ happens. We need each other to do that. We need to help each other. We were not meant to do this alone. It's extremely hard, or I would say next to impossible, to be formed in an isolation. Because God will always use other people around us to either encourage us, lead us, or upset us in such a way that we realize we have a problem <laughs> and we need to deal with it. Either way, either way, we need each other on this journey. And that, that is probably one of the most important things for us to discover. Um, time is running out, so I may have to skip a little bit here, but let me see. <coughs> yeah, very quickly about... One-sided spirituality. Um, last year, for those of you that were listening, I had one seminar on spiritual pathways, about the different ways that we relate to God. And I had another seminar about our personality, um, how important it is that we get to know ourselves, because without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. And I, I still wholeheartedly believe that these are essential things. We need to discover who we really are so that we can discover our relationship with God. And it's very helpful to see that how our personality actually causes us to worship God 
That's why we sometimes feel at home in one particular setting of church or worship and maybe not at home in another one because it's just contrary to the way I choose to worship God. And we talked about that at great length last year. But I've discovered something new since then. And that is that it's one thing to know how I like to relate with God. But I also need to understand that if I only pursue that way, I will never experience wholeness of my spiritual formation. I need to look at the shadow side of my being. And I need to work on maybe trying to experience God in ways that are contrary to my personality and my personal tastes. And God is very funny sometimes. Uh, in my own life, he is... He has led me back into a very traditional setting right now where I would not have wanted to go even just a few years ago. But God has his ways to lead and guide us. And I ended up in a setting now where I'm confronted with a much more traditional type of Christianity than what I'm used in the vineyard. And my first concern was, now I can never worship again. Now I can never experience the presence of God again. And I was wrong. The moment I opened up my heart to a different type of spirituality or spiritual way of worship, he met me there. And I, I, I find him and I sense him almost stronger than I have in a long time in a setting that's contrary to my taste, contrary to my preference. It's not what I would choose to do, to say or to sing. And yet I see him there. And I sense him there. And it's powerful. And I feel so much, so much richer now than I did just a few years ago. Because he is everywhere. And so what I'm challenging you is with, once you discover your preference, once you discover your style, the way you like to worship, the way you like to relate to God, go for it. Nurture that. Enjoy it. But, but, Remember that there is another side of you. And there are just some differences. For instance, I'm just going through that quite quickly. If you're an extrovert, then of course you will tend to develop a social spirituality. You will want to be with people. You want to be worshipping in a group. And you need the interaction. And so uh, for you, that's just the way you like to worship. But what you can't do, or what's really hard for you, is what I talked about yesterday. To set aside a time for retreat and solitude. That just about kills you. Because that's not your strong side. But that's your shadow side and you need to nurture it. If you are more of an introvert, intuitive type of person, of course it's easy for you to develop some kind of contemplative form of spirituality. You know, find your God chair that I've been talking about. Find your pattern and your rhythm and connect with God. And who cares what everybody else does? You know, it's just me and God. Well, that's good. And you need to nurture that. But you also need to find a way to feed the other side, to worship and to contemplate in a group setting maybe. Something that's out of your comfort zone. Something that's different than what you like. Because only that will make us whole in our spirituality. If you are one of those thinking people, the number five on the neogram, the investigator, you know, you just love and read and study and you just want to be by yourself. Again, you need to find a way to, to interact with others so that they can be blessed by, by all your knowledge, but also that you can be blessed by the different ways that they encounter God. And if you are more of a perception-oriented person, like the, the gut person that we say, well, you, your spirituality will be very unplanned. You'll be very spontaneous. You know, you just, uh, you know, one day this, one day that, and then whatever comes, you know. And again, that's how you, if that's how you're wired, then that's okay for you to do. But imagine what it would be like to have a real rhythm. Imagine what it would be like to actually have a pattern to you follow. You actually follow a Bible reading plan. You actually follow some kind of structure. And by doing that, we actually become rich. And what I discovered, and that's quite recent, if we don't do that, uh, I call it feeding the beast. <laughs> if we don't feed the beast, 
If we don't feed the shadow side, there will always be an emptiness that we don't know how to fill. And then we, if we don't understand it, we start filling it with the wrong things. Why, why is it that so many Christian people are involved with things like pornography? Why? Why is it? I mean, there are statistics about it that are heartbreaking. Among pastors, heartbreaking numbers. But why is that? It's an indicator that there is some part of our spirituality that's not being tended to. There's a longing for something that we haven't been able to fill with the way we do spirituality. And so we try to fill it with something else. And we know it doesn't lead us to what we want to reach. And we know the consequences that that can lead to. So I'm, I'm challenging you to once you discover more about who you are and how you worship to actually do the opposite in a way. Subject yourself to environments that are unpleasant in a way that you thought you never could enjoy God in. And feed the beast. <laughs> Try to find out what is your shadow side according to your personality. Because if we do not nurture our less preferred side, that will cause problems with our whole spiritual pilgrimage. And I'm, dis I'm discovering that, and it's actually answering a lot of questions I've had about my own heart, questions I've had about other people, the way they act, they live, and I, it's hard to understand. God always leaves us free to reject transformation. It's also possible for us to regress in this, in this process. And that's what in old-fashioned terms we call backsliding. Okay, our time is actually up. I, I wanted to go through with you, and I'll maybe do it really quick, through uh, the, the journey. Um, there are many ways we can describe the Christian journey. One of them is the way I've, I've been sharing in it in many occasions about the, the stories of thousands and tens of thousands of believers being combined. And we find that there's a common thread. That how it starts, you know, with the first love when you become a Christian and then you learn how to serve and then you become part, you take responsibility in the church. And then if you re remember, if you have heard it, then somewhere in there we hit the wall because we just run out of steam, something happens. Then we rediscover the, the love of God and we end in what I, um, what I call conversion, um, where everything just kind of falls into place. That's the pattern of the Christian journey according to thousands and tens of thousands of people sharing their story. But what I want to very briefly touch on is a description of the Christian journey that is actually much, much older. It comes from the early church fathers. They have different words to describe something very similar. I want to go through that just really quickly, and if you're interested, um, you can actually ask me for the presentation, and I can email it to you if you're interested. So this is the classical Christian journey. Uh, let's forget about this here. It starts with awakening. Okay, God leads us into situations where he awakens us. It's like Isaiah saying, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. He had a vision of God. But always with the vision of God comes the realization of our own humanity. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. It's always when you encounter God, you see your own inadequacy, you see your own dirt. It's always like that. That's why people cried out in the early church, what must I do to be saved? Because they had just encountered God. So this is an awakening, and we go through that again and again in our life. God will lead us to a place of awakening. We, we seek God in new ways, we experience Him in new ways, and as a result, we are automatically uh, confronted with our own inadequacy. After that comes what's called purgation. It's like, you know, how the goldsmith purges the impurities in the gold by putting heat to it and the impurities rise to the top and he can skim them off. And there's a lot of faces to that that I don't know if I have time to go through. But basically, 
now that we have encountered God, we have been awakened, so to speak, now we start to realize all the things that are not okay in our heart. It starts with maybe things of our old life that are inconsistent with God's will. Then it goes on to more deliberate things in our lives, like, um, who was that? Uh, let me see. Uh, Wesley. Wesley called it the willful transgressions of the known will of God. Basically, you are, you're still doing things that you know are wrong, but you do it anyways. It's basically what it is. There's things in our lives that we know aren't okay, but we are just not quite ready to let go. So in, during purgation, that comes up, and we realize, oh wow, this thing I'm doing, I've got to let it go. But then it goes deeper. It probes the unconscious sins and omissions of the life. It's not just the things we do that are sin. It's often the things we don't do that are sin. And then it goes deeper and it deals actually with our behavior, with our patterns, um, yeah, with our attitudes and so forth. But once we have been awakened, God comes and he starts with the easy stuff and he goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Uh, it then leads to illumination. And that's kind of what, what John describes in his vision of heaven. The radical shift of the deep dynamics of our being, a profound transformation of our relationship with God. And you see the elders casting down their crowns. It's an image of giving up authority and control. And it represents illumination in the sense that I cannot be king and invite Jesus to be king in my heart. If I want him to be king, I need to lay down control and authority and give it over to him. And that's a revelation that only he can give us. He can't learn that um, just by intellectual knowledge. It has to come as a revelation from God. And so... Uh, uh, I have to skip this. This is uh, just a quote from Thomas Merton about about this very thing. Well, what's, what happens is, again, it's a paradigm shift uh, where we uh, understand our motivations and our relationship with God. It becomes not just about serving God and, and pleasing Him, but burning with love for Him. Burning with love for Him. That's a totally different thing than trying to do his will and trying to follow him. Once we love and we live out our life in the world of our, out of that love. And then the last thing is the, the union. And again, that's such a mystical term. But the Bible is full of it and Jesus talks about it all the time. It's not some kind of experience that we have, some kind of weird you know, experience. It's really... The goal that he has, Jesus prayed that we would be one, not just with each other, but with him as he is one with the Father. That we are in Christ, that Christ lives in us. And so that's the awareness and realization of that oneness. It's now no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. I mean, that's the deepest desire of our hearts is for union for God. With God, actually, should be. God created us for union with himself. This is the original purpose of our lives. And I will end with that. This always has to be the target. This has to be the bar. And it's high. It's so high. But in his mercy, I think God is helping us to, to deal with that in a, in a way that actually we can do. We can do spirituality. We can do spiritual formation. We can do growth. We, we can do the things that he has for us uh, if, we, if we choose to cooperate with him and, and use each other. We need each other's help. You need a soul friend. You need someone that helps you on that journey. could be more than one person, but you need people that speak into your life. Like, like John was saying, people that scrutinize us, not just as a leader, but as a believer. People that ask some hard questions, you know, how really is your relationship with God right now? We don't ask these questions because we don't want to hear the answers, and we don't know how to help each other. But there are ways that we can help each other. And so, if you're hungry, 
if you have a desire in your heart to to really follow that bar and that example, then I, I just challenge you to uh, to find help, read books, connect with people. It's possible, and it's God's will for us. Nothing less. Nothing less. It's His will for us that we would be in Christ, reflecting Him in this world for the sake of others. Thank you, Father, that we can be on this journey together and that even though it's a great challenge and there are times when we feel like giving up, Father, that you don't. Thank you for calling us again back into that holy calling that you have placed upon our lives to become like your son, Jesus. Not just in the life to come, but even here and now. And Lord, we know that the world is waiting to see that. The world is waiting to see a church that means business and is serious about following you. A world, a church that can reflect your kindness, your love, and all that you are to a broken humanity. Father, I pray that the seeds that were sown today would bear fruit in our hearts, that we would not drift any longer, but would take the call seriously to become more and more like you, simply by allowing you to come and do that work in our hearts. Thank you, Father, for your kindness and your great love for us. Amen. Thank you again for listening. Um, if you would like <clears throat> the presentation, you could just get my email, send me a quick mail, and I will mail you the link for that if you're interested. I gladly share it with you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Vineyard Nordic podcast. For more information, please visit the Vineyard Nordic's website, vineyardnordic.org.